Yes, I said, with a Bernese inflection. I wouldn't have expected that here, not even in January. Something in his face changed. It wasn't a pleasant surprise for him to meet a Swiss person here. I felt intrusive. No, in fact, he said now, also in dialect. It's often like this. His eyes drifted across the street. I can't see a Swiss registration number. I'm here in a higher car, I said. I'm taking the train back to Bern tomorrow. The waiter brought him a perno. For a while, neither of us said anything. The rattling vesper with the girl on the back seat drove past. The waiter waved. I set the money for the coffee on the table and started to go. I'm driving back tomorrow, too, Funvalet said now. We could go together. That was the last thing I had expected. He could see that. Just an idea, he said, and a strangely sad smile, asking for forgiveness, darted across his features. Now, once again, he was the man who had parked so maladroitly. Before going to sleep, I thought that Tom Courtney could smile like that, too. And in the dream, that's exactly what he did. He brought his lips close to the mouth of a girl who recoiled in horror. Just an idea, you know, said Courtney, and not much of an idea, either. Yes, why not, I said now. Funflade called the waiter and ordered two pernos. I gestured that I didn't want one. A surgeon doesn't drink in the morning, not even after he stopped work. I sat down at his table. Van Vliet, he said. Martin van Vliet. I held out my hand. Herzog, Adrian Herzog. He'd been staying here only for a few days, he said, and after a pause, during which his face seemed to become older and darker, he added, In memory of before... At some point on our journey, he would tell me the story. It would be a sad story, a story that hurt. I had the feeling I wouldn't be up to it. I had enough on my plate dealing with myself. I gazed along the avenue of plane trees that led out of the town and looked at the mild, muted colors of Provence in winter. I had come here to visit my daughter, who was working at the hospital in Avignon. My daughter, who no longer needed me, hadn't done for ages. Take an early retirement? You, she had said. I had hoped she would want to know more. But then the boy had come home from school. Leslie was annoyed that the nanny was late because she was on the night shift, and then we were standing in the street like two people who had encountered one another without really meeting. She saw that I was disappointed. I'll visit you, she said. You've got time now. We both knew she wouldn't. She hasn't been to Bern for many years and doesn't know how I live. We know very little about each other generally, my daughter and I. I'd hired a car at Avignon Station and had driven off at random, three days on small roads, spending the night in rural inns, half a day by the Gulf of Egmont, sandwiches and coffee time and time again, Somerset Moham in the evening by dim light. Sometimes I was able to forget the boy who had suddenly appeared in front of the car back then, but never for longer than half a day. I started from my sleep because anxious sweat was pouring over my eyes, and I was nearly choking behind my surgical mask. You do it, Paul, 
I had said to the senior doctor, and handed him the scalpel. Now, as I drove through the villages at a walking pace, and was glad when I was on the open road again, I sometimes saw Paul's bright eyes above the surgical mask, his expression one of shock and disbelief. I didn't want to hear Martin van Vleet's story. I want to go to the Commode today, to the Sainte Marie de la Mer, he said now. I looked at him. If I hesitated any longer, his expression would harden like Tom Courtney's when he was standing in front of the headmaster. I'll come with you, I said. When we set off, the wind had stopped, and it was warm behind the windscreen. La Camargue, c'est le bout du monde, said Van Vliet, when we turned south after hour. That's what Cecile, my wife, used to say.